Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Tipsy Ghosts. We're your tipsy hosts, Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay. Hey, guys. Hi. Hello. Sarah and I are upset because Lindsay told us she doesn't love us anymore. This is like that TikTok where I say that's not what I said. (laughs) What did you say then? I said that I had a glass of wine and some rice wine, too. I had two glasses of wine. Please. And then I said that I didn't want to drink anymore tonight. So and she says she doesn't love us anymore. Our love language love is wine. <laughs> <laughs> and Boydson said that I'm not funny without alcohol. And that made me feel offended because I am hilarious <laughs> all the time. But tonight we are going to do a smorgasbord episode. So we are all going to talk about our own things. Smorgy, smorgy, smorg. Thank smorgy, you. Smorgy, smorgy, smorg. Ooh, mm-hmm. it sounds better when you're drunk. Oh, gosh, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Spin the wheel. Who's going first? Well, let's just see here. Oh, well, it's me. It's you. We were surprised. It's Boydston. It's Boydston. All right. What's all that stuff written below your name? Oh, those are ads. Oh, (laughs) my my God. It's a description. You have to see the ads if you're going to do a free sweater. (laughs) True. Don't like ads? Go to premium. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm not paying for a spin the roll of the wheel. I chose to discuss a true crime case. (gasps) True crime. And (laughs) I really thought you were inhaling to sing. I wasn't looking at you. I was looking at Voidston. I'm sorry. (laughs) She would have if she were drinking. I know. I'm looking at the person who was talking. I'm so sorry. Mm. Don't do that. Don't look at my mouth. (laughs) Don't look at her mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at Sarah now. (laughs) Okay. No, that feels weird. Please don't. (laughs) Where do I look? Me, I'm speaking. Okay, but not your mouth. Just not her mouth. (laughs) Not my mouth. Like eyes, eyes. eye contact. Never heard of it. (laughs) Mouth contact. (laughs) Ew. Well, this sounds like something pornographic. Luckily, your microphone's in the way. Lucky for you. (laughs) I'm imagining. You guys, I rearranged. You're imagining her mouth. Yes. I moved my positioning where she we did. where she, we record. I get it now. You did this on purpose. <laughs> you know I didn't, but this is just a happy accident. Mm-hmm. Sure it oh, is. Oh, you Sarah, did this because Sarah likes your mouth. Sarah likes to watch my mouth when I talk. <laughs> a mouth reader. And that makes me incredibly uncomfortable. Lip reader. <laughs> mouth reader. <laughs> it's a combination of mouth breather and lip reader. <laughs> I wondered why you rearranged us. I mean, I'm not mad. No, I, I really did it to make I it more it conversational. Now. But now I realize that she can't watch my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find a way. <laughs> I okay. have the perfect view of her mouth. But perfect. I'm not looking at it. <laughs> now you can make her uncomfortable. <laughs> so we're talking about murder. <laughs> we are talking about true crime. Uh-huh. And I gave you a tagline. So his name's Hans Schmidt. Hans Schmidt. And... He is the only Catholic priest ever executed in U.S. history. Oh, my word. Oh, he, he's a bad priest. Yeah, you know, and so I thought, I just saw that tagline and I was like, oh, that's fascinating. I'll do this story. And then as I was getting into the story, I was like, oh, this is terrible. So oh maybe some trigger warnings. Yeah. All the warnings. Yeah. I'm just thinking of, you I know, mean, what what has a Catholic priest ever done that's bad? Oh, I don't know. Oh, boy. Here we go. Anyway, so um, Hans Schmidt is described as an unusual child. Or he was an unusual child. He's, <laughs> he is he, a child? <laughs> he is not currently. <laughs> they, they executed a child? It's very bizarre. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> he was unusual. Okay. Got it. 
He was he born in weird. Yeah, he was born in Germany in 1881 to a Protestant father and a Catholic mother, with both sides having a long history of mental illness. Uh, so things are already. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm just saying. We talk about the recipe for a sociopath. Here we go. Protestant we father go. is that what it is? Um, Catholic mother. No mental health. Oh. Mental health. Got it. History. That that's a- that you sprinkle that in. So now we're going to sprinkle, sprinkle in lots mental of other things. History. There we go. I mean, who doesn't have mental health history right. nowadays? But I guess it's it's a, it's a pinch of something, but it's not the main components. Got it. Uh, Bacon here, and cake. Dash. <laughs> Adding to the cake, he was regularly beaten by his father. Oh there it boy! Is. Uh, and also witnessed his father beating his mother. Okay, we're adding in a cup of some physical Abuse. and domestic violence. Okay. 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 Terrible. And just, we're going to top off the cake. The next sentence is a direct quote from Wikipedia because it's a lot and Thanks. I didn't quite know how to summarize it. Let's do it. Quote, even in childhood, Schmidt combined a deep religious devotion with bisexual promiscuity and a fascination with drinking blood and dismembering animals. Okay. The animal part and the drinking blood part, that's like three cups worth. We're just going to pour that in. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I see how you couldn't like summarize that. I mean, like no. bisexual, like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And then um, then we took a turn about drinking that's blood not, and animal. That's not what I thought was going to follow bisexual. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know how to break that sentence down. So I just, <laughs> just got a quote. Just okay, threw it in there. Okay. Gotcha. Um, he once beheaded two geese oh, and kept the severed heads in his pocket. There's another half a cup. And he had a slightly strange childhood hobby. Any guesses? Setting fires. Okay. Beheading geese. <laughs> we already know that one. <laughs> that okay. is a strange behavior. Um, Sarah's closer. Dang it. Killing animals. He liked to spend his afternoons watching the cows and the pigs be processed through the local oh slaughterhouse. Oh my god. Oh my face. If y'all could see my face. Oh, my face. <laughs> that is extreme. <laughs> um, that's going to be a third of a cup. Okay. <laughs> Lizzie's still baking a cake over here. <laughs> it's not a very good tasting cake. This is a terrible... This is a ketchup mustard cake. It's Yeah, it's not going to taste good. It's awful. Pickle Hans juice. was also intrigued by Roman Catholic rituals and played priest with a homemade altar. Okay. Okay. Um, some hyper-religious devotion can be... Not healthy as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all these things would later be called foreshadowing. Um, ooh, ooh, that is a literary term. Look at you. That was so condescending. <laughs> I just, just don't. Not being condescending. That's from books, and I know you don't read them. <laughs> so. She's talking to the wrong person. I don't read. <laughs> I was. Impressed. It makes more sense coming from you. I was impressed. You. Thank you. I, I actually came up with that myself. You're a good reader. Remember. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Fast forward, and Hans is 25 years old and is ordained in Germany. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. During his later seminary years, he was arrested and charged by Bavarian police for forging diplomas for failing students. Oh, okay. His father hired a lawyer who arranged for the charges to be dropped, quote, for reasons of mental defect. So mental defect and criminal activity, we're going to add in a third of a cup for both of those. Oh, she's still making her cake. <laughs> It has not been baked. We're still mixing. We're still putting the ingredients together. I don't even know what the story is yet. Oh, my. Okay. Okay. Uh, During parish assignments, Hans molested altar boys, had affairs with several women, and 
socialized with sex workers. Okay. Okay. He also had a strange way of performing sermons and saying mass, and both fellow priests and parishioners complained a lot. And because there wouldn't be any further assignments for him because of this, he immigrated to the United States in 1909. Initially, he went to Louisville, Kentucky, but there was a disagreement with the senior pastor there, and this resulted in his transfer to St. Boniface Church in Manhattan. Okay. Around the same time, a young Austrian housekeeper is hired at the rectory, and her name is Anna Amuller. Hans claims to have heard a voice from God. Or, so this might be part of your cake, hearing voices. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. maybe from God, I think that might be semi-normal. I mean, if he's a man of faith, yeah. I'd say it's praying. Yeah. So it depends Deep on talk. what it is. I'm, 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 we're going to put that off to the side. Yeah. You might add it in. I'm like, mm, where is it going, though? It's ready to be added in if needed to the cake. Okay, it's, I'll come back to sounds you. like it's not going to be good. Yeah, so a voice from God ordering him to love Anna. But she initially refused his advances. Not sure why. He sounds perfectly fine. Yeah. Wait, he he's a priest? Aren't they supposed to be abstinent or celibate? Hold on to that one. He got a, a heard a voice from God oh, that okay. it was okay. Yeah, okay. you're gonna have to hold on to this because um, okay. they eventually have a secret affair. Okay. <gasps> she said yes eventually. But Anna's not the only one. He was also having a secret relationship with a dentist named Ernest Miret, who, by the way, Hans was operating a counterfeit ring with. You know what? Hans is busy. He is busy. Mm -hmm. Mixing business and pleasure. That is true. Yeah. Unfortunately. So a year later, Hans performs a secret ceremony to marry Anna. Basically, he just signed his own marriage license. (laughs) I was going to say. He's like, guess what? What what priest (laughs) would marry a priest? I can do it. (laughs) I don't even have to ask. Who cares that I took a vow to God (laughs) and be celibate? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of... It's already dark, so we're just going to we're just keep going, trudge yeah. forth. I mean, we've already got a pretty disgusting cake going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Uh, soon after, during sex with Anna on the high altar of a church, oh. Hans claims to have received a command from God telling him to sacrifice Anna. Okay. okay. That's the last ingredients I'm going to pour. Remember I said I was setting it aside? Mm-hmm. It's going into the cake, and now yeah. the cake's getting ready to go in the oven. It's about to be ruined. I thought that might happen. I mean, yeah. it was already almost there, but well, here we are. Of course you thought that might happen. You know the story? <laughs> <laughs> Had a feeling. It was going. Had a feeling this was going to turn bad. <laughs> it's based off my foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a literary term. <laughs> Good job, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so later this same year, Anna tells Hans that she is pregnant. So imagine if word got out that this celibate priest is a married and also has impregnated a woman. He knew that his days as a priest would be numbered. Yep. So his solution was to slash Anna's throat with a 12 inch long butcher knife in the apartment that he rented for her. Their little secret place. Uh And he drank her blood. And then he sawed off her head with a hacksaw and sliced her body in half and finally dumped her remains in the Hudson River. Good grief. That is some overkill, Hans. Yes. Intense. Your cake tastes disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) You tell him. I do not like this. This is a terrible cake. You are a terrible person. That's true. That's why it tastes bad. 
And he did all of that with enough time to return to the church to offer mass and administer communion. Oh, well, bless him. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, man. Unfortunately for Hans, Anna's body washed up a few days later, and police were able to trace the remains back to Hans via a pillowcase with a price tag still on it, which in my opinion is very impressive. That is impressive. Especially for the early 1900s. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Um, Basically, yeah, it was like really good detective work. So the pillowcase manufacturer sold only through one store, and the store owner had a record of it being sold, Mm -hmm. as well as some other bedding, um, and delivered to the apartment where Anna was murdered. Wow, impressive. Mm -hmm. Good job. They searched the apartment, found men's clothing labeled H. Schmidt, and found documents like letters that Anna had written that gave his full name. Man, it's like everything really just aligned as far as the clues go. Mm -hmm. Detectives questioned the apartment manager, and they were directed to the church where they found Hans. Within minutes, he confessed to the marriage and murder and said, I loved her. Sacrifices should be con- consummated in blood. Okay. Oh, Hans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, during the trial, they tried the insanity defense, claiming Hans was hearing voices and also that mental illness ran in the family. But a witness testified that Hans had convinced her to pose as Anna and take out a $5,000 life insurance policy under her name, listing Hans as the sole beneficiary. And, like, he and also, that friend's is motive. Yeah. And he also, not only motive, but he knew her going public was going to ruin things. So, like, he had, he planned it out. He knew yep. what had to be done. It wasn't an impulse for the moment thing. No. The jury convicted him of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to death by the electric chair. Before execution, he said, my last word is to say goodbye to my dear old mother. And he was executed in February of 1916 and buried in an an unmarked grave. To this day, he is the only priest to ever be executed in the United States. Good riddance, Hans. That is fascinating. Yeah, so that's Hans, and that was our um, baking special. Yeah, um, do not recommend that cake. It's very bad. Hans is an asshole. Yes, he is. Okay, well, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. The story. <laughs> kind of sounds like one of the characters from Asylum again. Shall I spin again? You shall Let's spin. Do- again, we don't know. <gasps> it's a surprise. Who's going to be... Uh, uh, uh. Oh, you got a cheering squad. Oh Sarah. God. It's, it's me. Sarah. Okay. She looked at you when she said that. So oh, well, listen, I can't see her. <laughs> I'm hiding. At one point, I noticed I was like doing this, <laughs> leaning out to the side, and I thought, I can't do that. It's going to be weird. All right. Well, I'm going to talk to you guys. I, I didn't know how else to classify it, so I called it a phenomenon. 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 <laughs> it is spontaneous human combustion. Oh, yes. Spontaneous human combustion. Combustion. There goes another one. Function. <laughs> nope. There really is a song. You called. know, I think I think this is an awesome topic. I'm excited. <laughs> I love hearing these stories. And it's also yes. terrifying because it can happen to you're gonna tell us. It's spontaneous. <laughs> it's spontaneous. <laughs> Could happen to me right now <laughs> in this chair. It is defined as the pseudoscientific concept of the combustion of a living or recently deceased human body, 
without an apparent external source of ignition. How is it pseudoscience? <laughs> there are some debates about that, but the, the actual definition is described as pseudoscientific, okay. unfortunately. It's a belief that the fire starts within the body of the victim. And there are usually three characteristics that are involved. It um, Can we guess? Okay, okay, yeah. Go ahead and try to guess. Okay, All right, so what, what are, are we some guessing? Of the characteristics that are – there's three main characteristics that are involved in SHC. A higher level of fat. Okay. I'm going to good say guess. alcoholism. Also good guess. Um, having a oh, – Okay, multiple guesses. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, so while those things are, yes, typically involved, and I'm going to touch on those here in a minute mm-hmm. – the, the the things that I'm looking for. We're both wrong. We're both wrong. <laughs> They're both wrong. Um, it's that the the surroundings of the site of the fire are not drastically damaged. Okay. All right. So maybe like the walls or the ceiling. Like nothing else is burned. Correct. Yep. Um, there's no visible source of the fire. Okay. Mm-hmm. And parts of the body are left intact adjacent to the ashes where the victim is found. This idea in turn were both first proposed in 1746 by Paul Rowley or Rowley. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Paul. Paul. Uh, in an article about the mysterious death of Countess Cornelia Zangeri Bondi. That is a mouthful. And we'll talk about her more here in just a bit. But she had a very suspicious death that they believe with was uh smooth with was <laughs> shc <laughs> sack yes well spontaneous human combustion is a mouthful but it is I like so they say shc for the love <laughs> did you say fhc <laughs> i said shc oh, okay yeah. <laughs> i promise well, the topic of SHC uh-huh. received some coverage in the British Medical Medical Journal. Oh, God, I can't read. In the British Medical Journal in 1938, an article stated that there were some common characteristics among the recorded cases of SHC, including, and this is regarding the victims. So, oh, 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 here we go. Chime in. What did you want to say? Alcoholism. Um, a high fat content. Okay. The victims are typically chronic alcoholics yes they're usually elderly females Mm. the body has not burned spontaneously but some lighted substance has come into contact with it that's what they found Mm -hmm. and the hands and feet usually fall off oh (laughs) they also found that the fire has caused very little damage to combustible things in contact with the body okay strong work Lindsay. apparently i was wrong you're not wrong i mean that leads to some a theory here in a moment just that alcohol is a, uh, you know, it's flammable. <laughs> it's highly flammable. And I thought, you know. This is probably tied into the higher fat content. The combustion of the body has left a residue of greasy and fetid ashes, mm. which is a very offensive odor. I had to look it up. Alcoholism seemed to be the common theme in early SHC literary references. Maybe because some Victorian era physicians and writers believed that SHC was the result of alcoholism. So mm. they kind of tried to make it seem like if you were an alcoholic, like this was going to happen, you're going to burn up in flames no matter what. An extensive two-year research project was conducted in 1984 by science investigators Joe Nickel and uh, forensic analyst John F. Fisher. Fisher Nickel. Fisher Nickel. <laughs> yes, let's see. <laughs> that was their name. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Looks good. That's clever. I know. 
you're on it with those names. Uh, their report was published in the Journal of International Association of Arson Investigators, as well as a book called Jai? What? Journal J-O-I-A-O-A. Joy-o-yo. Joy-o-yo. There's too many vowels there. Joy-o-yo. No, we need another consonant. I need to, I need a consonant. It's all vowels. <laughs> no, but don't like it. Joy-o-yo. And they did a book. Joy-o-yo-yo. That, <laughs> that was so impressive. That was really good. I can't even mimic that. Was that a spring? A real it spring? It was a spring, yeah. <laughs> it sounded like it, didn't it? I'm embarrassed. <laughs> don't be. That was beautiful. You're just really good at sound that effects. the best thing that I've heard all day. <laughs> Well, now nothing is going to compare <laughs> to the rest of it, but involved, it involved 30 historical cases of alleged SHC from the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. It showed that the burned bodies were close to plausible sources for the ignition, including candles, lamps, fireplaces, and so on. These sources were often omitted from published accounts of these uh, incidents, probably to make it seem like it was definitely... Spontaneous human combustion. Mm. Okay. I'm not saying I don't think it's real. I'm just saying that that's what happened. Um, they also found, again, that there was a correlation between the death and the victim's intoxication, which could likely have caused them to be careless and unable to respond properly to an accident. They thought that the victim's clothing could possibly have been a source of fuel. Sometimes the victim was on a chair or a rug, which were also considered flammable. Some other natural explanations could include the fact that almost all cases were people with low mobility, either due to age or poor health, and cigarettes were often seen as the source of fire. Either the victims fell asleep with a cigarette, or maybe they had a heart attack and died. Mm. Okay. Uh, causing them to drop the cigarette. The other hypothesis is something called the wick effect, which kind of alludes to what you were mentioning, Boydston, earlier, where the clothes act as a wick setting fire to the body, and it sets like the, f- the fat on fire, basically, from the inside out. And this has actually been tested quite a bit, scientifically. <clears throat> if you ever want to... How did they test it? <laughs> cremated bodies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, some of the examples, the most probably the most famous example is that of Mary Reeser. And on the evening of July 2nd, 1951, in St. Petersburg, Florida, she was visited by her son, Dr. Richard Reeser. Uh, she told her son that she had taken two secondal tablets, and these are mild sedatives and can also be used as sleeping pills. I was not very familiar with these. Mm-mm. Maybe they were like old school tablets. I don't know. She also mentioned that she might take a few more before bed. Okay, why not? All right, so she'd already taken two. She was like, I'm going to take a few more, I think. Get out with your bad self. Yeah. Later that night, she fell asleep in her upholstered chair. That's important. Fabric. (laughs) Yeah, fabric. Lots of fabric. The next morning, her landlady reported smelling smoke around 5 a.m. and again later at 8 a.m. The landlady also discovered soot in the hallway leading to Mary's apartment. She tried to get into the apartment, but the handle was too hot. So she asked some nearby painters to help open the door. I think they just busted it down. I was like, why aren't you going to the fire department? (laughs) That's a good question. If you smell smoke, you see soot, (laughs) and the door handle is hot. Your first thought is, let me get a painter. Get the painters. Yeah. Yes. Makes sense. Inside of the apartment, they found the cremated remains of Mary Reeser. 
Her skull had reportedly shrunken to the size of a cup. <laughs> How do I find that so funny? <laughs> I mean, I would think it would disintegrate. Typically, they don't shrink, and that's why it was fascinating, because okay. it was still a skull, but like, shrunken skull. Yeah, not like misshapen, like you would. Mm-mm. Okay. Interesting. It's the size of a tiny cup. Mm, they also found part of her spine, but the weirdest thing was that they found her foot still in the shoe. Mm. And her skin on the foot was not burned. It was completely intact. Wow. Hmm. Everything else, every other part of her was ash. So according to cremation experts, the body needs to be burned at 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit for three to four hours to be cremated. So that's a long time. That's a long time <laughs> to be burning and nobody at a high temperature. smell that. Exactly. Aside from where she was sitting, everything else in the apartment had been pretty much unaffected. The walls right next to where she was sitting were not damaged at all. The ceiling was blackened from soot and smoke, but the lower walls were not. Some light switches were melted, but the outlets were all intact and functioning. She had some wax candles near where she was sitting, and they had melted, but the wicks had not, and they were still standing upright. A stack of newspapers nearby were completely undamaged. Neighbors were completely unaware of the fire, yet firefighters who came on scene found the heat so intense that they couldn't stand it. They couldn't even stand to be in there, but neighbors didn't have a clue. Experts found it very bizarre that she could be cremated, but a large part of her apartment was still completely intact. So samples from the chair, rug, debris around her, and smoke from the walls were sent to an FBI crime lab for analysis. But they did not find traces of combustibles. They did find melted fat in the rug. They tried to find the source of the fire, but a local mattress company chimed in and said that the chair stuffing would not ignite in flames enough to cremate her. They said that it would only smolder and not ever reach the temperature needed. An electrical fire was also ruled out. So Mary, however, was seen the night before with a cigarette... So FBI and police believe that she fell asleep while smoking. And some theories include the following. Some of them are just bizarre, so bear with me. The first one is, a ball of fire came through the open window and hit her. No. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an alien being. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's a winner. Just perfectly aimed at her, yes. Yeah, just at her. Uh-huh. Not her foot. Nope. Another one is... It it was started purposely by some combustibles, but again, according to the coroner, they would be able to trace those and they were never able to find any. The last theory was that she was a victim of spontaneous human combustion, which is what we like to think. Mm -hmm. So there have actually been about 200 recorded cases of SHC. The earliest was in 1470 in Italy when a man burst into flames after a night of drinking. Again, Drinking. Just out drink with your friends and your friend may be teetering on the alcoholic side and then they burst into flames. My gosh, that's horrible. There went Joe. Uh, Okay, so we came back to uh, Cornelia from the beginning. So in 1745, Countess Cornelia Bondi, again, she was from Italy. She was found burnt into a pile of ashes with only her legs intact. In 1982, Jean Safin, uh, her family claims that they saw her burst into flames in front of their eyes. That would be so traumatizing. Oh my gosh, yes. Have you seen Hereditary? Yes. Mm -hmm. No. Horror movie, and one of the people just burst into flame in front of their 
family. SHC. Um, but it's interesting because that's like one of the fewer times when people have actually witnessed it because usually mm-hmm. it's them by themselves. By themselves, right. Right. Um, and more recently, 2010, Michael Faherty, I think that's how you say that, from Ireland. That's real recent. Yeah. The coroner claimed that SHC was the cause of death when he was found burned in his home with none of his surroundings destroyed. That was interesting. It was a coroner report. Right. Yeah. Can't it could be, be an actual cause of death. It can't yeah. be pseudoscience if it's on a right? coroner's report. I know. Hmm. Anyways, so one of the things that I found particularly interesting while I was researching this was that nobody actually tried to get up and escape. Like, they all stayed put when they caught fire. Like, if you were on fire, you'd try to get up and run out. You stop, drop, and roll. You stop, drop, and roll. Or you run away. Right. If your chair is on fire, you try to run away. So none of them had had done that. They were all in in the same spot. So very interesting. What are your thoughts? I would think the death would be almost like instant. And that's why they're not getting up and moving. Like if it's burning that hot to melt everything. So are you a believer then in spontaneous human combustion? Sure. Why not? Okay. I like it. Winston, I I feel like I know your answer, but yes. Um, No. You don't believe in it? <laughs> no, I just... Yes, she of was course like, I, oh, I was that like, it was called a pseudoscience. <laughs> right away. I was like, what? You don't believe? Okay. <laughs> um, let me do my story again. <laughs> <laughs> let me just start from the beginning. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you heard me. Let me tell the story. <laughs> I'm sure that's just what you wanted for me to uh, fumble through that story again. No, you did excellent. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so you're a believer then. Okay, cool. And what about you? I am... I am so it's frustrating because when I read like the description and like the journals and everything like that, then I feel like, well, yeah, I could see how there was probably a source and they were, you know, fell asleep and maybe they were drinking and took sleeping pills and blah blah blah. And they just didn't get up because they were tired and didn't notice. But then you hear all these stories of people that actually it happened to, and you're like, hmm, maybe it I think it did. I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of in the middle leaning more towards yes, it's definitely a thing. I think it's just something so rare that we're not ever going to have enough, like, evidence. Right. Of- I mean, it's to me, it's kind of similar to, like, paranormal stories. Like, yeah, well, how are you going to prove it mm-hmm. that it's actually there? And every time you do prove it, then somebody's always going to question it. Right. It is interesting that it doesn't spread to the walls or yeah, anything like it that. It just stays put, and then it goes out. The fire does. Aliens. It's always alien. They're the ones who sent the fireball through the window, is my guess. Yes. Fireball, I'm going to say no to. <laughs> you don't like that theory? I didn't like that theory. I didn't outright call it aliens, but that was <laughs> what I was hinting towards. you are aliens. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to Colombia. So we are going to talk about the Hotel del Salto. So this is located near the capital of Bogota. And that is in a town called the San Antonio del Tacandama region. And this is on top of a huge waterfall called the Tacandama Falls. Okay. Clever. So this is a first, it didn't start out as a hotel. It started out as a mansion that was built by an architect, Mr. Carlos Artura Tapias. And he built it in 1923. And this was like his residential mansion, but because he was an architecture he, or he was in architecture, <laughs> because he was into architecture. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> um, it was very lavish, it, very elegant, ginormous, and so he had some very wild parties there oh. in the 20s. 
It was the Roaring Twenties there. It was Great Gatsby style. It was. So it was so popular because this area is very popular because of the waterfalls and it was a tourist attraction and his mansion was hugely popular. He decided to make it into a hotel in 1928. So he built an addition on and opened it as a hotel to welcome wealthy tourists. Um, Like I said, the falls are opposite of the hotel, so they were getting a lot of traffic. So he had plans to reconstruct it again into an 18-floor hotel, but it never began. And this place is huge as it is. So, like, 18-floor hotel is just, yeah, like, ginormous to me. Is, but he never big. actually did begin it. So, the hotel did close in the early 1990s um, for a variety of reasons. One, tourists were kind of losing interest in the area. Two, Bogota was really, I mean, becoming more populated at that point. And so, because of that, sewage was beginning to flow in the river. And Ew. so, the Bogota River flows into these falls. And because of all the pollution... It was not good. They said the air just smelled like sewage. Yikes. And that's not very fun to go to if you're staying in a luxury hotel. Um, They also built a hydroelectric plant upriver that made the falls not impressive. They said it made it turn into like a leaky faucet. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Or it was just like this gushing waterfalls and it's just like, (laughs) dribble. (laughs) (laughs) So because of all of this, the pollution, the plant that they did upriver they just closed the hotel okay bummer and it sat vacant for many many years we're gonna get to what it's like now but we're gonna get to the paranormal part of it okay so according to local legend the indigenous muska indian tribe used to jump from the falls in the 16th century this was when the spanish conquerors were trying to that sounds really stupid, Lindsay. Why'd you do that? <laughs> I bet when the Spanish conquerors were conquering South America. I mean, that makes sense. They were storming through South America. and they, yeah, they were taking over. Yes, they were okay, taking over. Good. And the Musca tribe, they were trying to avoid being captured. So they believed that if they Aww, that's sad. fell, they would transform into an eagle and fly to their freedom. Okay. Um, so but so they maybe not jumped. sad to them. But they, not okay, sad yeah, to them. They you. were doing it and they believed that they would be transformed. All right, so this story attracted people from all over who also leapt to their deaths Hmm. from the hotel's cliffs overlooking the falls. But it's literally like you got the road and then it's just like off on the side of the road, like on a cliff overlooking it. So, I mean, it's really looks looks a little freaky. So I can see how people could jump. (laughs) She freaky. (laughs) It looks haunting. Ooh. The hotel is also the scene of several suicides. Many believe that the hotel is haunted because of this. It is also said that hotel guests would leap to their deaths out of the windows for no reason. Nowadays, some people say maybe they were just so drunk because Mm. it's party time there and Uh. they just stumbled off of the balcony and fell to their death. Um, Man, these are unsafe balconies. (laughs) Not safe balconies. Grief. A homicide did take place there as well, where a young socialite was brutally murdered by a guest in her room and the walls were covered in her blood. Guests have said that they have seen apparitions around the hotel at night, including the ghost of the murdered socialite, and they also report (laughs) hearing loud screams coming from the hotel. So, like I said, it remained empty for many years, but in 2011, the Ecological Farm Foundation of Porvenir and the National University of Columbia Institute of Natural Sciences 
They began a joint restoration effort of the hotel's intricate architecture, and their mission was basically to convert the hotel into a museum that would serve as a national symbol of cultural heritage and environmental restoration. And P.S., I don't think I mentioned this, but Hotel Del Salto translates to Hotel of the Leap. Oh, oh no. That's, that's not great. Kind of lends to its haunted history. Wait, why did they name it that? Because I think that it got attention for that. Uh, and we know like, places. Did they know the, the history? Surely they knew the history. It seems before. insensitive. That's yes. what I mean. Like, mm. So he, I mean, when he built it, it was like his mansion. He didn't name it anything. But then when he opened it as a hotel. I mean, yeah, it probably yeah. brought attention and money. And that's and money. unfortunate. Yeah. Um. So in August 2013, the mansion reopened as a museum, and that is what it is today. They said the air still smells like sewage from the pollution, but people just go there as a museum instead of staying for days and days. I guess mm. they don't they don't mind it. Mm. But that is temporary. The history of the Hotel of the Leap. Fascinating. Where'd you hear about that? Um, I honestly don't know where I heard about it. I think I was just looking at like I knew I wanted to do a place, and I was looking at just, like, haunted, like, weird stories or whatever. I Google weird things to get what I get. And it was, like, these weird stories that are true. And it was, like, talking about how people leapt from their deaths there. And I was Hmm. like, oh, this is cool. Fascinating. Yeah. Very good. So who knows if it's actually haunted, but there were definitely a lot of deaths that happened at that hotel. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. You guys want to go there? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I don't, I don't want to drive on that road to get there. That road no. looks horrifying. It looked terrifying. <laughs> Mountains and cliffs yeah, just exactly. kind of scare me. Yeah, there's like no safety guard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hopefully by now they have. That was, he did, he shot that like in three or four years ago and they reopened it in 2011. So hopefully they've done more safety guards, but mm. who knows. I mean, in the 20s when it opened, definitely not. He only he had to pay $10 to get through the guard, so I'm doubting that right. they really care too much about, like... He was even like, I don't know if we'll be allowed in, and he said they just saw somebody walking around and asked if they could come in. Oh, my gosh. He said he was I mean, really I feel nice. like we could get in there. Maybe we just hi- uh, walk. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go well, in He the went car. in the daytime, too. <laughs> I'm going to politely decline. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> okay, Fang. All right, guys. (laughs) Thanks so much for tuning in to our Smorgasbord episode. You can always find us at thetipsyghost.com with our socials linked from there. Or send us an email at thetipsyghost at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star rating and a great review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We greatly appreciate it, and it really does help. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. We will catch you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.